0: Thank you for tuning in to Alethe Bible Fellowships Today's Sermon is uh, uh, about uh, the church versus the world, specifically that we are not overcome by the world and how it is that God provides for us in that. Uh, hopefully you find this uh, sermon useful. If you have any questions um, or are wondering more about our church, you can find more information at abfpdx.org. All right, let's go ahead then and uh, take opportunity to pray before we listen to what uh, God has to tell us from his word today. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity to gather together to spend time in your word. I pray, Lord, that we would listen intently, that uh, you would speak to us, um, and we would uh, be able to grab hold and put into action what it is you have to say, Lord. Uh, May your spirit speak to us, and I pray for a good discussion on these topics as well. Thank you Lord for where it is you have led us this year and I pray that we will continue to be strengthened as things try to tear us apart. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. So I'm going to uh, continue on from uh, last week basically. um, We added uh, to our understanding of how it is that we are uh, to interact with the world. We talked Last week, about the need to be a new creation, right after it is that we come to a saving knowledge of uh, god 's grace through his Son Jesus Christ, we are told specifically in his word that we become new creations, and that the old us the the worldly us is dead and of course the uh, the you know symbol of that uh, the um, the imagery of that is captured in like the baptism itself, the act of uh, being baptized. These things are bombarding us all the time. Everywhere we go, we're told to pursue prosperity and pleasure, popularity, power. And we're told that these are the things that should drive us, um, and that we should strive to do these things on our own, um, taking out anybody in our path because we can't rely on anybody. This is the the great lie that we're told. Nobody can truly know me. In fact, in some cases, we don't even really know ourselves because we're too busy trying to conform to the way of the world. We Looked in the book of James last week, and James reminded us uh, of all of these worldly things that the, the church could take hold of as their own, and he told us what the fix for that was. In James chapter 4, verse 10, he tells us that the fix for these things is to humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. See, this is the the truth, is that we should not be relying on ourselves. We, We have a false narrative, right? Our experiences have been informed by years of being in the world and being of the world. So in order to break that narrative and to look with crystal clear vision, we must look through the lens of salvation and we must understand that everything leads us back to a right relationship with God. And we must hold that standard regardless of what might try to overcome that relationship. Whatever would press itself upon us as being more important than the relationship with God. Whatever would turn us from our vision looking upon God, to our vision, looking upon self instead. This is the way that we stand strong against the world that would teach us to rely only on ourselves, by relying on God. We come humbly and know that it is He that will lift us up. According to 1 Peter 5, in verses 5 and 6, being truly humble means to submit to God and His Word. It says... In 1 Peter 5 5, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Romans 12 also gives us context for this. In 12, verses 16 through 19, gives us instruction to live in harmony with one another. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, and don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable, and do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Again, that call for us to be united, to be one unit, to show the world who Christ is through our solidarity, all hinges upon our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Right? John 17, we read continuously that they will be one with me as I am one with you. We are not alone. This isn't an individual process. We are not alone in it. We're not left to our own devices. We have been grafted into a productive tree instead of being a dead branch. So those branches that fall off have been grafted onto a new tree that is is alive and well and flowing with sap to give us all the energy and provide for us everything that we need. Romans 11:17 But some of the branches from Abraham's tree some of the people of Israel have been broken off gentiles in case you're wondering that means So as we struggle against the world and attempt to show who the person of Jesus is through our solidarity, know that we are grafted onto a tree of people who did the same thing. Struggled. God chose these people, the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, to to be the vehicle that brought salvation to the whole world. And as his chosen people, they too were set apart from the world. And they too struggled. They had many, many struggles. But the part that I want to cover today, because I'm going to talk about their history a little bit, is just several instances that talk about how it is that they stayed strong in the midst of the world trying to overcome them. So the first place that I would look would be in Exodus chapter 1. Now I'm not going to read the whole story here. I'm going to give you the brief James overview. In chapter 1, verses 6 through 22 we have a picture that is painted for us. Now, up to this point, we've gone through the history and we've seen Joseph uh, being sold into slavery by his brothers into Egypt. We've seen his story of how it is that he maintained his strength in God and reconciled his whole family, which was to be this great nation. We see at the end of the tale of Joseph all of his family moving to Egypt and God giving them a promise that he will bring them into a brand new nation. That they will have opportunity to to grow here in the land of Egypt. In safety. And they did. They flourished. And you go from... Families, brothers and descendants to remembering of the ancestors to hundreds, thousands, millions of people. And they lived in harmony and they had the best in the land. Even when there was famine throughout all of Egypt and everybody was going through and buying back grain from the, that which Joseph had stored up. Every, uh, when they ran out of money, they would bring their livestock. And then when they ran out of livestock, they would sell their land to the, the government, basically, right? And then from that point on, they had a tax of a fifth of everything that they grew on that land to, again, provide for them and for the government, except for, except for the Israelites, whose land was still flourishing, in the land of Goshen. But eventually, Joseph dies, and there comes a time where there's a king who knows nothing about what happened. The king comes to power in Egypt who knows nothing about Joseph, and he just looks and he sees Israel and how numerous they are and how strong they are, and it frightens him. And so in order to try to keep them from growing any more, from the possibility of them joining the enemies of Egypt and fighting against them or trying to escape, they make the Israelites their slaves. What follows is a period of brutality, the likes of which I know a lot of people say this, but we have never seen We've seen some pretty horrific stuff. But they forced them to build cities, supply centers, and they oppressed them more and more, but they still multiplied and they still spread. So this great plan by the king of Egypt to make their numbers fewer and fewer was failing. So he came up with another dastardly plan. He talked to the midwives and he said to the midwives... As the women give birth, kill the children. But, time after time, this didn't happen. The midwives themselves had a relationship with God, and they were called before Pharaoh, and they said, hey, these Hebrew women, they're stronger than the Egyptian ones. They have the child before we can even get there. The king demanded that they go back and they kill all the males. That they throw all the Hebrew boys into the Nile rivers and let only the girls live. So Jacob's descendants find themselves in a land they were invited to generations ago, and instead of conforming to the land and its customs, they maintain their identity as chosen people of God. And though their world comes against them, the new pharaoh not remembering what had taken place, how Joseph had saved the world at the time, The descendants of Israel remembered still their identity, and because they honored their relationship with God, they were made to prosper despite the world trying to overcome them. You say, but James, they were in slavery. I understand that. Exodus 2:23 states that years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of their slavery, and they cried out for help, and their cries rose up to God. God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he looked down upon the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. So through the years of their suffering, as they maintained their identity, as they didn't allow themselves to be overcome with the world and change their way of thinking, they still cried out to God to save them because they have a relationship with God. They're the chosen of God. God utilized this foreign land to grow his chosen people into a great nation, and they maintained their solidarity throughout the ages that they were there. Though surrounded by different customs and ideals, they remained faithful to the one who guided their forefathers and blessed them. Through the pantheon of gods worshipped all around them, they worshipped the one true God. They endured slavery and torturous conditions and still flourished and grew. They called out not to the pantheon of gods, but to Yahweh, to the one true God. And they would not give in as the world tried to overcome them and beat them down. They cried out only to him for help, knowing that their hope lied in him alone. When you find yourself under attack, when you find yourself in danger of being overcome by the world, who is it that you turn to? Do you panic Do you seek out help from other people in the world in similar situations? Or do you turn to God? Do you cry out to him for help? And do you plug in to all the resources that he has put around you to help you to stay strong? Because remember, you're not alone. There is no need for you to conform to the world standard to try to fit in, to get along, to survive, because God will sustain you. As we move a little bit further through history, we come to Daniel. So as another example, you have Daniel and his three friends taken from their homes and brought into Babylonian captivity. Daniel 1, verses 3 through 7. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men from Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said, and make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literar- literature pardon me of Babylon. Then the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen, They were to be trained for three years when they would then enter royal service. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen from the tribe of Judah. The chief renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was Belteshazzar, Hananiah was Shadrach, Mishael was Meshach, and Azariah was Abednego. In an effort to assimilate the four young men into Babylon society, they were given new names. They were given an indoctrination into a new world system that tried to change who they were. So the world seeks to do the same thing to us, not necessarily change our names but to try to cause us to forget the God we serve by indoctrinating us into their plan. The worldly system that tries to inform us and tries to corrupt us. And it starts at the youngest of ages. The story continues on, though, in Daniel eight. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king, and he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he said, test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, and at the end of those days, compare us to the other young men who are eating the king's food, and then make your decision. The attendant agreed that they would be tested for 10 days, and at the end of those 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier, better, uh, and better nourished than the young men who had eaten the food assigned by the king. So these young men serve as an example to every child of God who faces forces of the world trying to change and make them conform, even down to their diet. Standing firm for what you believe may mean that in the moment you feel like you stand alone. But who came to Daniel's aid? God came to Daniel's aid. We are not alone. So every time that you feel like you're about to be overcome with the world, that you feel that temptation knocking at your door, and you're afraid that you will be overcome, you can remember that you are not alone. Not only do you have God by your side, not only do you have his spirit within you, the paraclete, the one who guides you and encourages you. But he has put all of these people around you to love you, to care for you, to guide you. Yes, even to admonish you. To help you stay strong in your relationship with God to present that solidarity so the world may know who Jesus is because of how it is that we treat each other. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide our lives, and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So even if you feel alone, remember that the Spirit is always with you. And when you're in those situations, you can always remember the familiar tale of the fiery furnace. Chapter 3 of Daniel, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves against you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace that God whom we serve, is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, and even if he does not, we want to make it clear, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. How is the situation that you're going through compared to that If these young men can have that strength in that moment to rely on their relationship with God, how can we not have that strength? Do not let the world overcome you and make you feel powerless. You can always turn to God's Word. You can remember in John 17 where he says, I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but keep them safe from evil. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. So when we find ourselves to be uncomfortable at work, when we find ourselves uncomfortable in social situations, when we have temptations to, I don't know, talk about random stuff like, oh, our poor working condition. Fall into the, oh, thank God it's Friday. We Struggle not to jump into the gossip mill and talk about people and their perceived weaknesses so that we can make ourselves look better. We need to remember that when we read through the Bible, we are not reading stories, we are reading history, which gives us evidence and proof. It gives us the ability to arm ourselves with knowledge that will help us not be overcome, to stand strong together, allowing allowing us to grow in the midst of of those things that would come against us. See, the enemy knows our insecurities and he plays on them and he knows the fears that you fight against. And he tries his best to feed you lies. And the question is, why does he lie to you? What is it that he's trying to elicit? And the answer is access to your life. John 10.10 says he has come to steal and kill and destroy. And if he can get you thinking wrong, believing wrong, saying wrong, acting wrong, the door to destroying your life is completely open. And this is done not as a group, but by singling out individuals from the group and breaking their conviction one by one so they no longer trust in their relationship with God. By lying to you and telling you that you're a fool, by oppressing you and making you feel stupid as an individual because you have a belief in God, a relationship with God. So if you have any thoughts that are opposite of what God says, thoughts like you're not going to be healed, delivered, saved, prosperous, full of joy, full of peace, full of hope, powerful in the kingdom of God. No. Those are lies. Know that you can stand strong and not not be overcome. Know that you can stand strong. Know that you can pray in the Spirit at all times and every occasion, that you can stay alert, you can be persistent. Know that God is good and He equips you when you need to be equipped. He provides for you what is needed when it is needed. He has perfect timing. We stand strong with reliance on him and we pray for solidarity knowing that whatever attack, slight or great, God will prevail. That we should not be overcome. And I just, I want to end today just sharing this small anecdote. This is how God works in small ways. Small ways that you can remember, that you can reflect back, that you can look on and know he's, he's got a purpose for you. He's not just you know, whispering lies to you and hoping that you'll just trust in him. He's got a purpose for you, and he works things together beautifully. In September of 2021, I added a Bible study plan to my Bible app. And the Bible study that I chose was uh, specifically focusing on not getting distracted, maintaining focus, recognizing distractions, and not being overcome by them. It's really good for me. I got a lot of stuff going on, right? And the very day after I added that, I promptly got distracted and did not go through the Bible study. Until last week. I, I no sooner put the first check mark on the completion of the first day of that study that I had added a year ago, and immediately after I commented from reading through that first day, I got a message on the Firesmiths thread inviting me for the next Bible study for Firesmiths. And it was in the book of Nehemiah. You want to guess what I had just read from the Bible study that I had put off reading for a year? Nehemiah 4. See, this is significant because Nehemiah did not allow the world to overcome him and what God had guided him to do. When faced with obstacles that would distract or keep him from what God had put on his heart, he seeks out God in prayer. So I would turn to Nehemiah 4, 1 through 6. I would read, Sanbalat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall, and he flew into rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends, the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? And Tobiah the Ammonite who was standing beside him remarked, that stone wall would collapse If even a fox walked across the top of it. Then I prayed, hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt, do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. And at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire cities, for the people worked with enthusiasm. So don't allow the world to distract you from God. Stand together in beautiful relationship with God and seek him to equip you. And any time anyone would come against you and deter you from the path that you have been set upon, pray to God, knowing that He will hear you. He will equip you. That you would not be overcome. You can stand together and keep growing strong to accomplish the task that has been put in front of you. It's not done individually. It's done as a family. This is why we're called to solidarity. So I have some questions for you. After I read the questions, uh, we will be... uh, Taking care of pumpkin grams? So, these questions for you. Uh, Have you ever felt that you had to curb your Christianity in order to survive your environment? So, have you ever had to curb your Christianity in order to survive your environment? The second question What distractions have been threatening your time with God? What has come against you led you uh, possibly a little astray from spending that time with God, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, being in relationship with him on a regular basis? So what distractions have been threatening your time with God? And thirdly, how have you partnered to stay strong and not be overcome by temptation? See, one of the beautiful things beautiful things is that we have relationships with one another and we can help hold each other accountable. So how have you partnered to stay strong and not be overcome by temptations?